We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Well, if you've just visiting, we've been going through kind of a sermon series and we're just now getting launched into it as we will be looking at Asa the Prayer Warrior. We're going to be looking at basically a pie chart. Uh, you know, several months ago I was looking at a financial magazine, and in this financial magazine they had a pie chart that was listed. And it, and it divided up our expenses in our finances. And it was a, a guide to help us understand how to have a good budget. And I thought, wow, that would be great for us as Christians to be able to look at a pie chart and understand these are the essentials of the faith. And so we would look at it kind of as a spiritual pie chart. And so the first thing we look at this morning is the chart of the spiritual walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a picture of a pie chart. And there's one little sliver in this pie chart that's pulled out to the side. And the first part that we want to look at this morning is prayer. Prayer. What is prayer? Next slide. What, what is prayer about? How does it work? How do we pray? What good does prayer even do if God is a sovereign God in our lives? All of these might have been questions that you've asked yourself in the past. You may soon ask them or you may ask them later down the road in the future. The, rea the reality is though, is that they're all good questions. How does all of this work out? Well, I first want to clarify this morning what prayer is. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture after I clarify what prayer is, where we can see prayer lived out in the life of a king by the name of King Asa in the Old Testament. King of Judah. So what is prayer? What is it? Well, prayer is, is something we do when we talk to God, right? I mean, is it, is it something that we take to God like a wish list and we write a bunch of things down and we take it to God and we, we, we turn it over to Him and we go, God, I want this, I want this, I want this? Is, is prayer expecting God to move on what we tell Him to do? Is prayer something we do when we are in trouble? When we're happy? When we're sad? When is the proper time to pray? Is prayer something that changes God's plans? What is prayer? What is it it's all about? Because I can tell you there are many different opinions on what prayer really is. You know, even children have a special way of praying. And I thought appropriate to list a few prayers that I, that I heard from some children. And the first one from a child goes like this, Dear God... I went to church today to this wedding and they were kissing right there in church. Is that okay? Second child says, Dear God, thank you for my baby brother, but what I really asked for was a puppy. Third child says, Dear God, it must be super hard to love all the people in the world, especially my brother. I don't know how you do it. Fourth kid says, Dear God, I really want to be just like my daddy, but without all the hair he has. 
The fifth child says, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill each other so much if they had their own bedrooms. It's working okay for me and my brother. (laughs) Well, it's funny to hear children pray, isn't it? But it's great to see them talking to God like He truly exists. Right? It's us as adults that sometimes talk to God like He don't really exist. I think we need to become more like children in our prayer lives as we begin to to look at prayer and talk to God like He's somebody, like He's a person that exists. So what is prayer? Here's a definition that I thought was appropriate from the Eastern Bible Dictionary. Now I changed some of the words, but the main idea comes from uh, this dictionary. It says, prayer is a, a conversation with God. The communication of the soul with God. Not simply through our thought process or, or meditation, you know, whatever people do when they meditate but a direct address to Him. Prayer may be oral, it may be mental, it may be occasional, it may be consistent, it may be quick, it may be formal. But it is simply a beseeching of the Lord. We see that in Exodus 32. We see in 1 Samuel 1.15 a pouring out of the soul before God. We see in, in, jo- in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 32, we see a, a praying, a crying out unto heaven. You see, unless you've, unless you've truly cried out unto heaven, then you've missed something. Job chapter 8 verse says, 5 verse 5 says, Seeking unto God and making supplication. Psalm 73, 28 says, Drawing near to God. And Ephesians 3, 14 says, Bowing the knees. You know, prayer presupposes a belief in a personal God, a personality of God, in His ability, in His willingness to hold interaction with us as His personal creatures. Creatures. His personal control of all things. His sovereignty of, over everything of life and all of His creatures and our actions. Prayer is basically summed up as a communication with God on a personal level. And while yet still holding on to the sovereignty of God, understanding that God is in control of everything we do in this life. So we know what prayer is. It's the communication between us and Him on a personal level. But why is it important? Why does it fit into the, to the spiritual pie chart of our Christian life? Why should we spend time in prayer? It's in the pie chart. How did it get there? Well, I could give you personal reasons, but the reality is, as we hold this book as of authority, 
And so I think it would be wise for us to look at a few scriptures, a few things in the Word of God that teach us why it fits into the spiritual pie chart of the Christian life. Let me give you a few biblical reasons of why it's important. Number one, God is glorified through prayer. God is glorified through prayer. John 14, 13 says, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You see, when God answers our prayers, He's glorified through us asking Jesus Christ for whatever it is we feel like God's will is for our lives. And God receives the glory. Some of the most powerful testimonies you will ever see in the lives of people is God answering the prayers of His children. Secondly, the Bible commands us to pray. Jesus, if you remember, was teaching there a parable in Luke chapter 18. And He says there in verse 1, He says, Now He was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. You know, Jesus taught a whole parable on the purpose and the reason that we need to pray as Christians all the time. It's pretty important to Him. Philippians, one of my favorite chapters, Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And then it continues on so that the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. You see, prayer is an aspect in which guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus through prayer. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. In Scripture, after Scripture, after Scripture, after Scripture, teaches us the importance of prayer in our Christian life. Thirdly, prayer changes things. Prayer truly changes things. I mean, listen, I believe God is sovereign. I believe we all live under the sovereignty of God, that He's in control of everything. And I believe that. I believe that man plans his ways, but yet God directs his path, is what Proverbs says. But I truly believe prayer changes things. And if you don't believe that, just look at the life of Moses. Look at the life of Moses as, as he dealt with Israel in their grumblings and their struggles. And how he prayed for God to have mercy on them. And there was times that God was going to destroy Israel. And yet, Moses goes out and he prays for them. And God changes. And he doesn't do what he said he was going to do. Look at Deuteronomy 9, 25-27. It says, I lay prostrate. That's down. I lay prostrate before the Lord. Those 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said He would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy your people, your own inheritance that you have redeemed by your great power and brought out of Egypt with your mighty hand. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and overlook the stubbornness of this people their wicked way, wickedness and their sin. 
You see, God listened to the prayer of Moses. And God hears our prayers as well. And prayer changes things. Because the Bible says the effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. So prayer is just not a communication with expectation of nothing to happen. When we pray, we pray with expectation that change is going to come. James 5.17 says Elijah. talks about Elijah. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like yours and mine. Like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Power of prayer. The power of prayer. And then in 18 it says, And he prayed again and the skies poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. You see, prayer changes things. And we truly have to understand that and believe that to have an effective prayer life. Because if we pray without expectation that God can truly change things. In, now listen, in His timing, then we won't have an effective prayer life. Prayer changes things. We have plenty of verses in the Bible that teach us the importance of prayer. And that's why it fits, I think, into the spiritual pie chart, the Christian life. It's something that needs to happen in our daily lives. Many of you I know pray. Many of you, I don't know if you pray. But I think, as speaking for myself, I could always pray more. There are so many needs just within our body that it could take me four or five hours to pray for everybody's needs. And so we could all do better about praying for the needs of others. Petitions on, on behalf of others. Supplications for our own needs, for our own desires to grow in the faith and whatnot. We need to pray together as Christians. We need to pray as individuals. We need to pray as families, as a church. I mean, that's what we see, listen, happening in Acts chapter 4, in verse 31. It says, And when they had prayed, they, listen, when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together, listen to what it says, was shaken. Was shaken. There is power in corporate prayer. And you know, once a month we have a prayer meeting right here at the church. And it's a great opportunity for us to get together and pray and allow the power of God to move through this congregation and through this community. If you will, this morning, turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 14. That's really our text this morning, but I thought it was appropriate to go over what prayer is, why it's important, and how we're to pray. And we'll look at some of those things a little bit more as we look at 2 Chronicles. This is an exciting verse. I mean, I truly think that there could be a movie put out about this chapter in Scripture. Because it's a really powerful chapter. Well, now that you're there, let us walk through this passage together. Here in this chapter 14, we have a new king. Abijah the father has passed away, and he has passed his throne onto his son, King Asa. And it says there in the beginning of this chapter that for the first ten years of King Asa's reign, it was undisturbed. Now, King Asa reigned for 41 years total, so that means three-quarters of this king's reign came with trouble, came with disruption. 
But for the first ten years, there was no trouble. During this king's reign, it says that he did right in the eyes of the Lord. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He served the Lord. He did well. He, he broke down all of these pagan worshiping places. And yet, he also commanded Judah to seek the Lord and to observe the commandments and the law of God. Now that was not kind of a forceful way of commanding like, you better seek the Lord, pal. No, what, 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 the, what they mean by that is that he broke down these high places. He broke down these altars and these incense altars. And it was, a more, it was more of a moral force or effort, so to speak. And Asa did this by getting rid of all of the Things were not pleasing to God. And so we see him remove the high places. And if you recall, God instructed there in, in Deuteronomy chapter 12, He said not to worship in the high places anymore. You don't worship in the high places anymore. But listen to where I will instruct you to worship. And so we see King Asa taking all these places down. He removes these worship centers, so to speak. Begins, it says, to build fortified cities during this time of peace, an undisturbed time. And there was no war during those ten years. It says they built and they were prosperous. Now during the time of King Asa's reign, it says that he had 580,000 soldiers in his army. That's a large army, wouldn't you say? 580,000 people. As a matter of fact, it would be larger than the U.S. Army today. That's a lot of folks. That's about 507,158 people in the U.S. Army today, give or take. All the military combined that we have in 2010 is uh, about 1.4 million people. Almost a million and a half in 2010. But I'd say 580,000 people is a lot of folks. So, so King Asa, is, he's reigning as a king during these ten years. He's prosperous, he's building, he's knocking down false idols in worship places. And God is prospering him. He has a great number of soldiers and no one's bothering him. But now that time has ended. That ten years is up. And the heat starts turning up. And we see there in verse 9 of chapter 14, the Zerar, the, the Ethiopian, decides to come in and come up against King Asa in the kingdom of Judah. Well, I'm sure in my mind as I read this, King Asa's okay. He's got 580,000 soldiers. He ain't got nothing to be worried about. Come on, bring it on. Let's do it. But the problem is, there's a slight issue. Zerar, the king of Ethiopia, has a, about a million soldiers. You see, that's quite a bit of difference. They have twice as many soldiers almost as King Asa. And so you see, King Asa has a problem. He has a big issue. Because there is really no way humanly possible that Asa can overthrow Zerar. They didn't have planes. They didn't have bombs. They didn't have missiles and things like we have today. It was hand-to-hand -hand combat. 
There ain't no way that they could survive that. So Ethiopia, it says, comes up through Marashah to battle against Judah. And I'm thinking, run. Retreat. Get out of Dodge. But Asa, this man, this warrior, has other plans. We see there in verse 10, it says this, it said, So Asa went out to meet him. And they drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephthah at Marashah. Doesn't anyone see a problem here? I mean, they are outnumbered. I'm not talking about a few hundred people. I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people with weapons, Jack. they got a problem. One-on-one ain't bad. I believe I can handle that. Four-on-two ain't so bad. Some of you might say, well, I've done that. I'm all right with that. But listen, when we start looking at 200 people against 100 people, when we start looking at 2,000 against 1,000, when we start looking at a million against 580, we got problems. We got big issues. But yet we read that King Asa went out and drew in battle formation against Zarar, the Ethiopian people. Now we have standing in front of us, just imagine. Put yourself there. I mean, just imagine if you was a football team. You guys like football. Carolina beat Clemson yesterday. It's okay. I like that. But imagine having two teams against one team all at the same time. Who do you think would win? Put yourself in their situation. You look at your team. Of 580,000 people. A lot of people. But then you look at a million people. And you stand up on the battle lines. Boy, I'm telling you. Put yourself there. A million people with 300 chariots. Out in front of you. There's no way we're going to win this battle, guys. Yet, our king prepares us to duke it out. But listen, this message is on prayer, remember. It's not on a foolish king's decision to kill all of his people. It's not a message on bravery. It's a message on faith and prayer. And what happens next is absolutely amazing. It's stunning. It's only God ordained by faith. This prayer warrior, King Asa, steps up to the task at hand, carries his men to the battlegrounds, stands up against Zarar the Ethiopian. And he knows that there's no way he can do it on his own. So what does he do? What does he do? What do you do when you have a difficulty in life that you're standing up against it? There's absolutely no way humanly possible that you can fix the problem. You live long enough, you'll have those. And many of us face them every day of our lives. So what do we do in in the midst of standing up against a situation that's impossible? We do what Asa did. He prays. He prays. 
King Asa, the prayer warrior, he fights his battle with prayer. His weapon is talking to God. And you can bet he talks to God like he really exists. Like he can really do this. Because his life is on the line. 580,000 of his soldiers' lives are on the line. And he prays to someone that he knows in the heart of hearts, in his soul that exists. And it's the God of the universe. And he says, Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. How do we pray, folks, this morning? We, we acknowledge truth. We pray by acknowledging truth. We say, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't do it. They're powerful and I'm weak. This situation is much bigger than I am and I can't do it. I can't quit my addiction in my own life alone. I can't love my wife the way you called me to love my wife alone. I can't love my husband the way you've called me to love him on my own. I can't stop being self-focused. You fill in the blank. I can't get over this financial difficulty. I can't get over the loss of a loved one. Whatever the case may be, He says, there is none Besides you, oh God, to help me. None. Prayer is the communication with a God that exists, acknowledging truth that it can be done. And when you do pray like that, things change. Things begin to change. God begins to hear. God begins to work. It may be 25 years down the road before it works out. But God's will is God's will. Our prayer doesn't change the will of God. Prayer is us coming humbly before God and saying, God, I trust in Your will, but this is a prayer that I'm asking for You to complete. If it's Your will, be it done. If not, look at Jesus. What did He pray in the garden? Take this cup from Me, but not My will be done, Your will be done. He prayed at least three times about it. He trusted in the will of God not to overthrow His own personal desires. What is God teaching us through this battle that stands before us? Prayer changes things. It might not seem like it up front, but it does. I remember praying to God when I was in Bible college, God, I really feel like You want me to go to Israel. But it's almost a joke. It's $3,500 to go to Israel. I ain't got no job. I got four kids. I'm in Bible college. But why do I feel like you want me to go? Lord, if you want me to go, I will take three weeks away from my family and I'll go and I'll do my studies in Israel for three weeks. But you have to provide the money by tomorrow. By tomorrow. And as I was in that shower, praying to God, crying out to God, I said, God, your will be done. Woke up the next morning, I'll never forget, I went to the mailbox at my school and opened up the mailbox, pull out, there's an envelope, and opened it up and guess what was in there? Check for $3,500. You see, God is glorified through prayer. No one can take that from me. You can mock Jesus Christ that He's not real, that He's not true, but you cannot take the power of prayer in how God responds and communicates with His children. 
Because God is powerful. God wants you and I to pray about everything. He wants us to pray about the things of life, the people of life, life itself, healing, whatever it is, God can be glorified when we pray. And you can pray for $3,500 all day. That don't mean you're going to get it. When I prayed, that didn't mean I was going to get it. But when you pray, God has something He wants to do through you. It's either teach you patience, give you a gift, show you a blessing, use you in a place that you never thought you could be used before. God can be glorified and He can move mountains to make it happen. And that's what happens right here in King Asa. Because I guarantee you, He's got a mountain to move in front of this man. As he's doubled over a million against 580,000. And so he says, So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. You see, prayer takes trust. Prayer takes trust. Many of you this morning, you seek not. You seek not because you trust not. And you receive not because you ask not, because you didn't trust. What do you mean, sir? That's deep. That ain't real deep. It's just logical. Many of you have prayer requests that you will not take to God because you don't trust God. And because you don't trust God, you don't receive their prayer requests because you never asked them, because you ended up never trusting them. And here we see King Asa, he trusts in God. He says, oh, so help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you. He trusted God. He come to God knowing that God could take care of the issue. Prayer takes trust. Not that we're going to get what we want, but that God is going to be glorified through whatever it is as a result of our prayer. We need to be praising God no matter our results. There's, listen, there's prayers that I've asked for many years that have never happened. But I'm praising God that they didn't yet. Because God is trying to teach me something through that process. I prayed for my father for many years to come to faith in Jesus Christ. My children prayed every morning, every lunch, every dinner for them to be saved. And for many years they didn't. But God was glorified and taught my children and me something with persistence through prayer that changes things. And now my father is a saved walking Christian and his wife is as well. You see, God changes things through prayer. We need to praise God and, 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 and seek God's understanding when He's not answering us. But if you're praying, listen, I want you to understand it brings honor to God that you're praying. Because it takes humility to pray. It takes you saying, I'm not able enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm too weak. But you are capable enough, God. And I want to trust in you and you alone. And God handles His business when we look as Asia finishes this prayer. He says, For we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God, let not man prevail against you. And God takes care of the situation. There in verse 12, it says, So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. Who did the work? Did Asa do it? Imagine standing there, watching a million people, you praying, and God taking care of His business. And all you're doing is standing there going, Holy Moly. 
That's what I did when I opened that check and there was a, a $3,500 check in there. It went, holy moly! Wow! God is unbelievable! And yet we see a million people plundered before their very eyes as the Ethiopians fled. It says there in verse 13, Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. Now listen, imagine that. Here you got a group of a million people. They turn, they run, they go, all right boys, go get them. I mean, they know God's on their side. They ain't afraid no more. And they go get them, buddy. And they pursue them. And they fell so hard that it says they could not recover. For they were shattered before the Lord and before His army. And they carried away very much plunder. This is calculated that they fled more than 20 miles. Listen, I went elk hunting a few days ago and I walked 8 miles and I thought I was going to die. They fled 20 miles and got plundered the whole way. That's a long ways. God is awesome. Don't miss that this morning. That God is a powerful God. He's not some Santa Claus God that we take a wish list to. He is the creator of heaven and earth and He loves you and He wants to have a personal relationship with you and He wants to communicate with you as a father and the child communicates. And prayer is necessity for the Christian life. So I ask you this morning, how much time do you spend in prayer? How much time do you spend in communication with God the Father? Coming to Him with prayers of adoration, prayers of confession, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers with request. Some might say, I pray, but God don't answer. Listen, this morning I want you to understand, there are some things that will hinder your prayer life. I'm not saying that God is not answering your prayer because you're living in sin. I'm just saying there are some things that we can evaluate when we don't get an answer from God to make sure that at least that's not what's preventing us from God answering our prayer. One thing is unconfessed sin in our life will hinder our prayers to God. Psalm 32, 3-5 says, When I was silent about my sin, that means He kept it to Himself. He knew He was sinning, but He kept it to Himself. My body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My validity was drained always as with the fever of the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see, quiet sin that we hide within our heart will hinder our prayer lives. It will draw us up like a cramp and prevent us from being prayerful people. And some of you this morning have simply received not because you've asked not. And this morning I want to tell you, we worship a God. Don't be so proud that you're embarrassed to take a request to God. God cares enough about you to number the hairs on your head. Don't you think He wants to know every single request you have? You know, as I stand here, I'm aware that many of you have been praying diligently.
with all of your heart. And it breaks my heart to see some of the things you're going through. But I want you to know that God is powerful and you be persistent and trust and acknowledge the truth that God can do it and whatever happens, you continue to pray. And God, in His timing, in His great mercy and grace, I hope, will answer your prayers. But you have to ask. You have to ask. John 16, 24, we read this. It says, Until now you've not asked anything in My name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. You know, as I read that passage this morning, I really was trying to impress the idea that there were people during this time that had not even asked for prayer requests. There were things in their lives that they wanted to take care of, but they hadn't asked about it. Maybe they were too prideful. Maybe they thought, well, God, I don't want to bother God with the mundane things of my life. God, He wants to know everything about you. Because God can be glorified through Jesus Christ. He says, you've asked nothing in my name. Maybe you've prayed and you haven't asked Jesus Christ to do it. But what I found in here is this. Your prayers are vital to your joy being made full. Don't miss that. Ask anything and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. You see, there's an aspect of our joy being made full through our prayers. So ask this morning. Don't hesitate to bring your request to God. Put a percentage this morning on the time you've prayed in 24 hours and see how much time you're spending praying in a 24-hour day. Many of us, listen, I understand how it works. We live busy lives. We get up, we eat breakfast, we pray at the cereal bowl, we ask God to bless the food, bless the day, bless our family. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We go to work. We work our tails off. We sit down to eat lunch. We eat a ham sandwich. God bless this ham sandwich. Bless the rest of my day. Keep us safe. We go there. Bam. The next thing you know, we're sitting at the dinner table. And we're going, Lord, thank you for these pig feet, these hog mog, whatever it is you eat. And then we go on and move and we go to dinner. And then typically we get into bed and what happens? We're so tired, we don't have time to pray. And so we lay down and we go, oh Lord. Lord Jesus, I'm out. we're out. We never make it through the prayer. We need to evaluate how much time we're spending in our prayer life. We don't pray just to get it, check it off the list. We, we need to, to understand prayer is this relationship between the very soul and within our shell. We're like a pea in a pod. The pod is here, but there's, there's, a, there's a pea inside. That's the communication we need and even when we don't know what to pray, praise God Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf. But we need to keep focused, understanding that prayer is not something to check off a list, but is a life-changing way to communicate with our Father who loves us in heaven. Listen to some of these quotes from godly people that understand the importance of prayer. And I put this first one on here because as a pastor, I need to understand this important factor. He says this, S.D. Gordon. 
He says, the, the great people of the earth today are the people who pray. I don't mean those who talk about prayer. I don't mean those who say they believe in prayer, nor those who try to explain prayer. You know, I'm talking about prayer. I'm explaining prayer. That's me this morning. But I mean those who actually take time to pray. Those are the people that are great people on the earth today. We may say, he says here, they don't have time. It must be taken from something else, he says. That something else is important. It's very important and pressing, but still less important and pressing than prayer. The people who put prayer first and group the other items of life in the schedule around prayer, these are the people today who are doing the most for God and winning souls to Christ, and solving problems, awakening churches, and supplying both men and money for mission posts, and keeping fresh and strong their lives far off in sacrificial service on the foreign mission field. Where the thickest fighting is going on and keeping the old earth sweet a little while longer. We can preach on prayer, Stuart. Pastors, elders, leaders. We can talk about prayer. But the ones who are doing it are making impacts for the kingdom of God. Ian Bounds says this, Talking to men for God is a great thing. I agree with that. But what Ian Bound says next is vital. He says, but talking to God for men is greater. He, he says in another quote, he says, No learning can make up for the failure to pray. No earnestness, no di diligence, no study, no gifts will supply its lack. And then one of the best prayer men... Andrew Murray says, The man who mobilized the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribution to the world evangelization in history. We want to be a powerful church reaching the gospel for Jesus Christ. It begins with communicating with God because God is the one who changes the hearts of people. I can preach this book all day long in my own strength, but apart from the Holy Spirit, apart from Jesus Christ's mercy and grace, I'm but a clanging symbol. You see, these men understood. They understand that prayer is vital, and we need to understand that as well. And until we, until you and I understand this fully and begin to embark on this journey of life, learning to pray, we'll miss much of the work that God has set before us. Because it's not until we see the mighty things of God revealed that we can understand prayer is vital in every aspect of our lives. That is why God can say in His Word, Call to Me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. But it begins with calling to the Father.
then and only then can we start making lasting impacts for the kingdom of God. Will you today evaluate where you are on your prayer journey? And evaluate the pie of the Christian lifestyle. How much time you spend in prayer. And just like a financial budget, begin to budget your time as a Christian to make sure we're doing the things God calls us to do. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful that we can come to You, the One that has created these mountains, these bodies, these children, the humanity that You've you've built, and all of the the unique designs that come with it. God, we we can talk to You. God, You are transcendent. You're far away, but yet, God, You're you're intimate. You're with us. You, you say you'll never leave us nor forsake us. And God, you communicate with us. You talk with us. You answer our prayers. You provide our needs. And we're grateful for that. And I pray this morning that if there's someone here that has not a relationship with Jesus Christ, it begins there before they start trying to talk to you. Because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to God the Father except through Him, Jesus Christ. I pray You impress on the hearts of these people this morning, whomever it is, God, that has not professed Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation, that it was His death, His burial, and His resurrection. God, that You would do that today. That You would have mercy on the very soul this morning. And as we give an invitation this morning, I ask and I pray, God, that you would give them the encouragement, the courage to step forward, to come down, to pray to receive Jesus Christ. Help us to continue to pray, not only for ourselves, but so many who are in need in our congregation, in our community, and across the world. And it begins with acknowledging you through truth and being humble. And help us to do that. As we look at the Christian in his prayer life. In Jesus' name, amen.